and I kind of went like this. And they didn't want to be impolite and run out because I was still in the middle of speaking. And I didn't want to be impolite and run because I knew if I ran, that all run too. So if we have one this morning, just pray hard. That's about it. That's all I can tell you. Let's not all run out of the room. But uh, it was great. In fact, uh, I had been praying and asked some people that were in here to pray with me that, that I could just keep the gospel very simple and right to the point. The danger anytime you share a testimony is it becomes a lot of me, 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 me. And, uh, and then, oh, and by the way, here's what God did. You know, we kind of throw that in there. And um, I had been really convicted about that, just to share the simplicity of the message of the gospel. And many of you were praying for me, and I appreciate that, and just praying that God's message would be very clear. And it was great. I got a follow-up letter a couple of days ago, and out of the men that were there, there was 14 men that indicated that they made first-time decisions for Christ, which was exciting. And it excited me because it taught me a lesson that there's a whole world of people out there that don't realize how simple the gospel really is. And that is, and it's a good time to introduce what we're here to talk about, and that is very simply that we are all sinners, that we're separated from God because of sin. He says we're sinners by birth and we're also sinners by choice. And that there would be no way that we can reconcile that other than the fact that God sent his son to die for us. He said he demonstrated his love and yet while we were still sinners, Christ came and died for us. And that, God, and that, you know, just that act of love on God's part and the death of Jesus Christ for our sins makes it possible for us to be reconciled to a holy God as sinful people. And just the fact that we can put our faith and trust in something that God has already done, saying, you know, it's by grace you've been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift of God lest anyone should boast. And just put your uh, simple faith and trust in who Jesus Christ is, what he said he was here to do, the fact that he died for our sins, that he rose again from the dead to prove that he was God Almighty in flesh and to conquer death for our, on our behalf. Just to be able to share that very simple message and say, you know, this is what God has done for everyone and he gives us a chance to decide whether or not we're going to believe that or not, to accept that or not. And uh, there was a group of people that came to Jesus one day and he said, what are the works that we should do for God? And uh, Jesus said to them the same thing he says to us, for you, and this group did not know who Jesus was. And they said, what do we got to do to please God? And he said, for you, the works of God are this, that you believe on him in whom he has sent. He didn't get off in a long dissertation about how they should live good lives, how they should do this or do that. All that he said to them was very simple. Look, you know what? If you want to please God, then you trust in what God has done for you. Very simple, that you believe on him in whom he has sent. And just so we don't ever lose concept of that or realize that, you know what? That's what it's all about. We get off too often talking with non-Christians about how they should change their lifestyle how they should be doing this or doing that or going to church or stop drinking, stop smoking, don't swear as much, do all these good things, and then somehow you're going to please God. As if there's some works that we could do that are going to be greater than the death of Jesus Christ for our sins. Jesus said, hey, there is nothing greater than that you believe in, on Him in whom He has sent. So as we talk about a series on rewards, again, I want to just introduce the whole subject with the fact that if you have never put your faith and trust in the completed work of Christ, if you've never said, Lord, forgive me for my sin, I accept what Jesus has done, even though I don't understand it, but that's what I know I have to do. If you've never done that, then the rest of what we're here to talk about this morning doesn't really pertain to you. Because there is nothing you can do, as far as performance is concerned, to earn any reward from Almighty God in heaven. 
But if you are in the group that has said, I put my faith and trust in Christ, now what should I do? That I, now, now that I've got that behind me, how should I live my life? How can I please God? What should I be doing? Then this is the series that is for all of those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. There is a lifestyle. There is a way that God says that we can live, that he promises us blessing and reward in heaven. We need to understand that. But there's nothing you and I are going to be able to do if we haven't put our faith and trust in Christ. There's no works you're going to do that are going to get you to that point. So, let's move on from there. My weekly disclaimer. Uh, if you remember the last time, have you ever wrestled with somebody that, you know, this whole series on rewards is amazing to me because it's like the more people I talk to, it's great. They think they know something and they're convinced of it and they're just as wrong as can be. Like this morning we were talking about what do you expect in heaven? It's like if you ask somebody, what do you think heaven's going to be like? Man, you could be dead convinced that you know what heaven's going to be like and be just as wrong as can be. And then you can have somebody correct you who knows that you're wrong and they're more adamant about the fact that you're wrong and that they're right and they're even more wrong than you. Do you ever get into one of those debates with someone? It's like, boy, and it's like whoever's the loudest wins. You know, well, I'm sure that you're wrong. And you're not really sure that you're right. So you kind of go, well, maybe I'm not right, but they're so loud and they seem to be convinced that they're right that they must be right. This whole series has been like that. It's like the loudest person is right. And uh, it's like, um, well, maybe I can illustrate a story. There are two men. They go out fishing Irvine Lake. Bill Simpson's one of them. Dick Parley's the other. They told me not to say that because, as you'll see, you'll see why in a minute. But they go out to Irvine Lake. They rent a boat. They go out and they're fishing all day long and they are catching fish like crazy. I mean, they're just pulling them in the boat left and right, one after another, one after another. Well, Bill says, you know what, it's getting late. We need to be going. We need to mark this spot. Before he knows it, Dick's leaning over the boat with a red paintbrush, putting a big X on the boat. <laughs> and Bill's saying, oh, Dick, I can't, oh, man, I can't believe it. You know, you are so stupid sometimes. I can't believe that you do something that dumb. And he said, well, what's the problem? And Bill says, well, you know what, how do you know we're going to get the same boat next time we come out here? <laughs> So sure, but so wrong. That's where this study's been going. Oh, no, no, I know what heaven's going to be like. No, let me tell you what heaven's going to be like. Well, let's see what God has to say heaven's going to be like. Last time we got together, we talked about how God motivates us to do the right thing. You remember? How does God motivate us? Oh, this is, oh, I love this. This is great. It's like, oh, man, people remember. This is so nice. What? Rewards. Okay. Crown of life. You're going to throw out one of those, aren't you? You didn't learn your lesson from Mr. Wetterholm last time we were together. Fear. Huh? Fear. fear, fear. Now you're learning just from her answer. Oh, I got you. This is working out great. Okay, rewards, fear, and love. Do you remember how it works? Okay. Now, some of you came up to me afterwards and said, well, you just used Old Testament verses. I always like that. As if, you know, God is different. Somehow we get this mindset. Well, God did things different in the Old Testament than he does in the New Testament. As if, you know, he's not the same God. That this isn't the same God that says he was the same yesterday, today, and forever. Somehow he changes. But if you remember, we'll go through this and take a look. Is that clear? Very good. God uses the exact same thing. He uses fear. He uses love. And he uses rewards to motivate us. That's what we're going to talk about this morning because really the, the, the subject this morning is what can we expect in heaven and how is God going to motivate us to believe that what we can expect is really true to the point where it changes the way we live our life on a daily basis. He uses fear. He said in John 5, there's a man who was healed, had no idea who it was. 
for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. The Bible is very clear that there are consequences for sin. Jesus used the consequence to motivate him to understand that there are not all of the adversity in our life is caused by sin. Despite what we may be hearing around us. Despite the fact that if you are suffering some physical ailment, there are people out there saying you don't have enough faith or you'd be healed, blah, 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 blah. John chapter 9 says, hey, you know what? That's not the case. It was that the, the works of God may be performed in him, that the glory of God may be known. That's why he was blind. God is sovereign. He decides what's going to happen to us when it happens to us. It has nothing to do with your lack of faith or your uh, too small faith, big faith, whatever it is. If you're suffering, there may be good reason for it. We know Paul said in Acts chapter 4, through many tribulations you'd enter the kingdom of God. So it's like, well, wait a minute. If they're going through tribulation, what sin is in their life? That doesn't make any sense. So Jesus knew full well that there are consequences for sin, and he motivated us by saying, look, you know what? You will suffer consequences for sin. And he made it very clear to the man of Bethsaida. He said, look, see, you're well again. Stop sinning, or the next time, it may even be worse. You know, a lot of times I don't serve God because I love him. I serve God because I fear the consequences. Many of us today will say, well, fear is not a good motivation. But the fear, of the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That doesn't make a lot of sense. If you're sitting here thinking, you know what? I don't want to serve God because I fear him. I want to serve God because I revere him. I'm in awe of him. Well, that's okay too. But you know what? There's a day, and this is the day and age that we live in where no one fears God anymore. God has become our drinking buddy, so to speak. You know, there's a consequence for sin. We need to fear God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of, the wi of wisdom. And when you and I realize that we're accountable to a holy God, it changes the way we live our life on a daily basis. You're going to wrestle with decisions and you may say, you know what, well, I don't really love God, but I sure am afraid of what he says are the consequences for what I'm thinking about doing. And it's going to tie into what we're talking about. So God does use fear to motivate us. He also uses love. It says, you may ask anything in my name and I'll do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command you. He writes in John chapter 14. If you love God, then you will obey what he commands. But oftentimes it's not enough. Fear sometimes isn't enough. Love sometimes isn't enough. But he also plays on our desires as far as another motivation. He uses rewards. This, this particular account takes place in a section where a rich man came to Jesus and said the same thing that we talked about just a moment ago. He said, what must I do to get into heaven? And Jesus began to ask him some questions. And he said, well, you should do this, you should do that. And he said, well, I do all these things. He said, well, there's one thing that you lack. Go and sell everything. And then, and what he was trying to show him was that there is nothing that you and I could ever do to please God outside of Christ. We can't keep the law. We can't do everything right. And just one sin, one violation of the law disqualifies us for saying that we can do something to earn forgiveness. So he's trying to make a point. And so he said to him, well, what must I do? Well, this guy had a lot of bucks. And he said, well, sell everything and then follow me. And he said he turned around and he, and he was grieved and he mourned because he was a man of many possessions. Well, this stumped the disciples who were listening to this saying, well, then how can anybody be saved? And Jesus said, and so Peter said to him, we've left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth that the renewal of all things when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you, have, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 tribes, judging the 12 tribes of, of Israel, sit on 12 thrones. 
And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. Many of us believe that our only reward is that we are saved and that we're going to receive eternal life. And at the moment you put your faith and trust in God, we know at that moment in time, we've received eternal life. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. We also know, and this is a witness or testimony, that God's given us eternal life. He who has the Son has life, not will have life. The moment you trust in Christ, you have eternal life. It's guaranteed. Ephesians chapter 1 says that God gives us his Holy Spirit as a down payment to what he will redeem later. It's hand money. He says, look, you've trusted in Christ. I give you my spirit as evidence in your life that you're saved, and then I will receive him back to me, and then we will be together. It's a down payment of what's to come. So Peter said, hey, look, we've left everything. And he said, you'll receive 100 times as much and will inherit eternal life. He didn't say, and you'll inherit eternal life. What more do you want? That's good enough. He said, no, you're going to receive 100 times as much as anything that you've left behind. How many of you wrestle with, I, I, and I'm talking to you all the time, I'm having a problem serving God because I'm going to get something out of it. Just doesn't seem right to me. Do you see anywhere, what did Jesus say? Man, Peter, you greedy capitalist, you. Where is that? I thought I saw that in there. Oh, that probably wasn't something that was written down. That probably just was like a conversation that took place outside of the, of the word here. He didn't even question it. See, God knows our innate desires. He knows what makes us tick. He knows what turns us on. He doesn't even challenge him. He doesn't question him. He doesn't say, Peter, man, you are one greedy capitalist. What is wrong with you? What do you do everything for your own personal benefit for? No, he said, hey, you know what? Whatever you've left behind, you're going to receive 100 times as much in the future. He doesn't say now, but he says that when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you'll receive 100 times as much. Boy, you know what? It makes it hard, too, for people to say, trust in Christ and all these things will be added unto you now. Trust in Christ and you'll have everything. You'll be richly blessed and you'll have all these material things. You'll have everything that you need. You'll have power, pleasure, and possession now. Trust in Christ and life's a rose garden. doesn't say that at all. It says, trust in Christ, leave everything behind, follow me, and one day you're going to have something that's 100 times better. See, that's the issue what we're going to have to talk about this morning. What does all that mean? Never once rebukes him for what he asked. He said, we left everything to follow you, what's in it for us. But he also uses fear again in the epistles. Romans chapter 13 deals with authority. It says, for rulers hold no terror for those who do right, but for those who do wrong. A lot of times we obey laws because of the consequences of disobedience. You know, what he's saying is that you're not going to be afraid to drive... Uh, 55 miles an hour or 65 miles an hour, depending, but you may be afraid to drive 90 with a policeman in your rearview mirror. See, somehow fear motivates us. If there's not a fear of consequences, then there's chaos and there's anarchy, and God says that all authority has been established by him. He's created it to keep us in control. And so the fear of consequences a lot of times restrains us from doing things we may want to do. You know, you ever stop and think about what keeps... 55,000 or 60,000 people in the stands, unless it's a soccer game, uh, <laughs> in the stands, I mean, when you go to a sporting event. 
What keeps 110,000 people in, in their seats, or at least standing up and jumping up and down, but they don't all run down on the field and say, well, I can do better than that. I think I'm going to do it. You know, when you stop and think about it, it's not eight guys in little yellow jackets saying security guards so much on their back because it's like, okay, if you ever stop to think about it, look, I think we can take them. There's 110,000 of us and there's eight of them. <laughs> you know, let's pass it on. I think we got them. No, it's not that, because it's not just those eight people there. It's the fear of the consequences of the system itself. Because you know where those eight are, there's going to be a lot more. And all you got to do is get in a fight at one of those stands, and it's like, where did all these policemen come from? You know, you got one guy in a yellow jacket followed by like 87 guys on horseback, you know, 18 vehicles, an anti-tank gun. I mean, they're all coming in there, boy. Just give them a reason. So uh, God uses fear also to motivate us in the epistles. He also uses love. He says, this is how we know in 1 John 3, 16 through 18, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. God is saying, if you really love me, how can you look about the world around you and not feel the same compassion and the same heartache that I feel for people? If you really love me, then you also love people who have needs. So love is a motivation. I mean, you may try to. How many of you ever try to avoid a need? It's like you see a need in your life, somebody around you that has a need. I mean, you see it, you know it, and you also know you can meet that need. And it's like you keep praying God will meet that need before you have to. It's like, okay, I know I can meet that need. I understand that. And, and, and well, God, just, you know, maybe you can bring somebody else to meet that need because I don't want to have to sacrifice to do it. But he also uses rewards. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Command those who are rich in this world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. 1 Timothy chapter 6, dealing with possessions. Hey, don't be arrogant about what God has given you, but be generous and share. See, so that, the fact that he says, and you will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation, God is playing up to the fact that, hey, if you sacrifice now, I'll make up for it later on. So I don't know what it's going to take to get you to be motivated by, by, um, to do what God wants us to do, whether it's fear, whether it's love, or whether it's rewards. But the nice thing is that God doesn't question that any one of them are equally valid in his word. Fear is a tremendous motivation. We had um, a friend of ours who's an NBA referee, and um, I just ran across an article the other day. They had a, the first time in a long time that they had a referee um, that they were interviewing because they've had this like uh, you know veil of secrecy you know they didn't want referees speaking out in the press and and saying a lot of things that they shouldn't say but um well why don't we all go out why don't we all go out here and see what's going on shall we, shall we all go come on let's all go together that's like okay well okay but um ed rush is the guy's name and they asked him they said hey what motivates you to make the right call and he said here's what he said he goes you want to talk about motivation he goes, when you're out there, I can't tell you the number of times you're thinking, what's this going to look like on videotape? 
I thought, that is great. You know, he had a good handle on it. See, and you know, 15, 20 years ago, he never had to worry about it. All of a sudden, they got this videotape, slow motion, frame by frame, step by step. And he said, boy, you know what? Sometimes we look real stupid in some of the calls that we make. So in the back of my mind, I keep thinking, boy, I hope this one looks good on tape. <laughs> and I hope this looks good on tape. You know, a lot of times, they even walk over to the little table, and they'll say, how'd that one look? And you know, I'm sure it messes up their night for the rest of the time. But God plays up to our desires. I ran across a, an article that I thought, let me just share this with you. Listen closely because I know it's what you're all struggling with. Okay? You ready? It says, The New Testament has lots to say about self-denial, but not about self-denial as an end in itself. We are told to deny ourselves and take up our crosses in order that we may follow Christ. And nearly every description of what we shall ultimately find if we do so contains an appeal to our desires. If there lurks in modern, or if there lurks in most modern minds, the notion that to desire our own good and earnestly to hope for the enjoyment of it is a bad thing. I submit that this notion has crept in from Kant and the Stoics and is no part of the Christian faith. Indeed, if we consider the unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised in the Gospels, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. It says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. We're like an arrogant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. C.S. Lewis wrote that in a book called The Weight of Glory. You follow what he's saying? He's saying if you and I are wrestling with the fact that it bothers us that God uses our desires to motivate us, he's saying if that's the case, then we should be motivated to do great things for God because all throughout his word he promises great riches and blessings to those who are motivated to live a life today pleasing him for what lies ahead. See, so the argument really is in reverse. You and I aren't motivated enough by what God says the future holds, because if we were, we would change the way we live today. You follow what I'm saying? So don't say, boy, I don't like this motivation because I have, there's something in it for me, so as a result, I'm not going to do anything. He's saying, no, if you really understand what God promises, and you understand the riches that are waiting for you in heaven, it should motivate you to live lives pleasing God today, because man, there is nothing today that's going to be better than what God has to offer then. You follow the argument? It's very important as we study this rewards because a lot of you are really wrestling with, well, it's a bad motivation to serve God. It's a bad motivation because I'm going to get something out of it. Really? What does God have to say about it? And a lot of us are like the two guys in the boat. You know, we're so adamant we know something and the next person's so adamant that they know that, that what they know is wrong and we, what we know is right and we're just as wrong as them because, you know what, it's all of us are just sharing opinions with one another and we've never bothered to see what God had to say. It's like, why don't we check it out sometime? Let's see what God has to say about what waits for us in heaven. And you know what I find? That there is real compensation for a radical commitment. There is very real compensation one day awaiting us for a radical commitment today. If you're going to live a life that's pleasing God today, then I'll guarantee you that there is compensation waiting for you. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. How many of you, 
it's a Saturday morning. Let's assume for a moment it's Saturday morning. Men, Saturday morning, and you come downstairs, you're going out somewhere, and your son's sitting there, and um, he's 18 years old. He's just kind of hanging out, not doing anything. And you go away, you come back, you come home, and the grass is mowed. All right, I, I just said this is a this is a story. <laughs> I don't, don't get hung up on this. It's like I have to make this up because I couldn't even ask anybody to help me with this one. I'm sorry, I couldn't help you with that. Uh, and you come back, and the grass is mowed. You're blown away for a second because you can't understand how that happened. But as you walk in the door, your son says, Dad, I decided to mow the lawn. You go, Man, that is really good. He goes, here's a bill. That'll be 20 bucks. <laughs> How many of you would pay? <laughs> How many of you would make him pay? <laughs> 20 bucks? Okie dokie. All right. Um, but let's change it a minute. You get up in the morning. You get downstairs. Your son's sitting there. And you say, listen, uh, son, I got to go somewhere. I'll be back. If you mow the lawn, I'll pay you 20 bucks. Then you come back and the lawn's mowed. Would you pay him 20 bucks? What was the difference between the two stories? There was, uh-huh, motivation? There was motivation. Okay, what was the motivation? Okay, 20 bucks, right? Okay. But why wouldn't you pay him the first time? Wasn't the lawn mowed anyway? I mean, the lawn is mowed. Is that the issue? The lawn is mowed. What? No contract. <laughs> oh, there you go. Another labor board case. There you go. Okay. No, no contract. Okay. Okay. You know, so here's the difference. In the first case, he presumed that because he mowed the grass, he'd get paid. In the second place, there was a plan. If you mow the grass, then you'll be paid. There's a presupposition or there's a plan. See, and that's the way God works. Does any of us have a problem with the plan? Does the plan make sense? If you go out and mow the grass, I'll pay you 20 bucks. And you come back, the grass is mowed, you give him 20 bucks. Does that all make sense to you? It makes perfectly good sense to me. Okay? Now let's assume for a moment that God has a plan. If you do this, I will give you this. You do it, you go to God, and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. I'll put you in charge of ten cities. Does that make sense? Oh. Okay. Let's go through and we'll think about it. If it's a plan, it makes sense. If it's presupposition, it doesn't make any sense. So if we're running around saying, if we do all these things, and I think God owes us this, this, and this, and it's not based on his plan, but it's based on our presupposition of what God should do if we do certain things, then we're just as wrong as the young man who cut the grass on a presupposition he could pay 20 bucks for cutting the grass. But if it's a plan and God says, if you do this, I'll do that, it makes sense because God said it. So stop wrestling with presuppositions and wrestle with the plan because the problem you and I are going to have is with the plan, not with the presupposition. Because the plan is what God says he's going to do. Now, the problem that you and I are going to have is, is what God says he's going to do, what he's going to do. That's the problem. That's the problem with this whole series on rewards. That is the problem. If God says he's going to do it, is he going to do it? Because I can't believe he would do it, because I've got a presupposition that God shouldn't do things like that. 
I don't care what your presupposition is. I don't care what mine is. God doesn't either. All he says is, I don't care what you think. Let's go by what I say. God has a radical compensation plan for radical commitment. That's just the way it is, whether you believe it or not. How many of you get sick and tired of seeing people around you who are benefiting? I mean, I just like, they're like flakes. They're flakes. They're ripping the system off. They're ripping people off. Do you ever get sick and tired of that? Man, I mean, well, you know what? Is this new? 2,400 years ago, Malachi writes chapter 3. You have said harsh things against me, says the Lord. Yet you ask, what have we said against you? God says, you have said it is futile to serve God. What did we gain by carrying out his requirements and going about like mourners before the Lord Almighty? But now we call the arrogant blessed, certainly the evildoers prosper, and even those who challenge God escape. Then those who feared the Lord talked with each other, and the Lord listened and heard. And a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. You see what the problem is? We are going around today, and we're no different than them, who are saying, you know what, Lord, everywhere I look, people that are ripping off the system are benefiting from it. There are temporary blessings and benefits to ripping off the system. And you know people that are getting by on it, and you look at them and say, how long is this going to go on? And they keep doing it year after year after year after year. You know what, this really bugged me this week, because I ran across a guy who, um, whose business... He, he filed bankruptcy. He filed bankruptcy. Really bugs me. Because I saw what was going on, and I saw what he was doing. I saw him taking all his creditors' money, or their material, selling them, collecting all the receivables, and then draining all the cash out and personally benefiting from it. I saw that take place. I also would go over and try to collect money from him in the past, and I saw him remodeling his office. Or I'd see a nice new car. And you sit there and go, oh, wait a minute, you owe people money. How are you doing these things? And I saw all this taking place, and it was like, okay, well, he's not going to be able to get away with this. <laughs> so dumb. I am so dumb. <laughs> he was getting away with it, and he was enjoying it. And he kept taking more and more cash out of it. And he kept having a great time. And I thought the same thing that people then thought, too. is that, hey, you know what? What good is there to do the things that are right? Why should we keep paying our bills? Why should we keep doing the things that are right when I see this guy just ripping the system off and he is really raking in the bucks and benefiting from it? Lord, why should I do what's right? Why should I pay my bills? Why should we even pay our employees? I mean, let's just go all out here. Let's just totally be flaky. Huh? Do you ever wrestle with that? Or is that just me? Oh, good. I'm glad you do. Malachi says, hey, guess what? This isn't new. People have been wrestling with it all the time. You know what, it, you know what God said it was? Hey, you said harsh things against me. Because you know what the accusation is? God doesn't pay up. God doesn't pay up if we do the right things. You see that? God says, you've said harsh things against me. Because you said, hey, you know what? It's futile to serve God. I don't see any benefits from serving God, but I see the world around me who are serving themselves, benefiting all day long. So my conclusion is that, you know what? Just do what you want to do when you want to do it, and who cares about serving God? Because God doesn't pay up. God says, man, you know what? I do pay up. I pay up. I'm, taking, I'm keeping track. He said, a scroll of remembrance was written in his presence concerning those who feared the Lord and honored his name. I'm keeping track. I know what's going on. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay. 
payday someday. God is keeping a record. If you're frustrated and saying, you know what, I'm tired of doing the right thing, it's time that I just start pleasing myself. I see people cheating on their taxes all the time. I see people cheating in their business all the time. I see them benefiting from it. They are personally gaining from it. And I'm sick of doing everything that's right. In fact, because we're doing everything that's right, we can't even be competitive in the marketplace anymore. Oh, man. I, well, you know what? I mean, it's just not right. I don't think God wants our business to go out of business. So I think it's okay for us to start to compromise and start to do things that maybe, well, well we can justify it. Hey, God says we don't have a problem justifying sin. We're good at it. We, 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 you know, we like major in it. What he's saying is, you're challenging me. You keep doing what is right, and I'll repay. I'm taking, I'm taking a note. I'm writing it down. I know what's going on. And don't worry, payday someday. Not only for those who abuse the system, but for also those who submit to the system. You follow what he's saying? It changes the way that we live our life. It changes the way that we think because it's all based on the, justice, uh, the just character of God. God is not unjust. Hebrews chapter 6. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. It's based on the character of God. What if you showed up to work this week and decided, and uh, they said, boy, you know what, you're really doing a good job. We really like the way you're working. We like all your work habits, your ethics, your attitude, your attendance. Oh, man, it's perfect. We even like the way you look. But we decided to start next week that we're not going to pay you anymore. Just a, you know, a change in company policy. We're not going to pay you. How long would you work there? How long would you work there? 30 seconds. <laughs> okay. That sure is giving them the benefit of the doubt. Why wait that long? It's like this whole conversation is taking place as I'm walking out the door. Oh, really? We're not going to be paid. Oh, that's very nice. It's been really nice working with you. I'm out of here. How many of you agree with that? Do you agree with that? Huh? Oh, no, I know. The rest of you are saying, no, I work there because I love it. <laughs> oh, we're in deep trouble here. How many of you would keep working there? Loyalty. Loyalty. That's a spirit. That's what I like to see. I want to tell all your employees. <laughs> no. Seriously, would you work there very long? No, not at all. I mean, that's, I mean, that's not the purpose, right? You've got to provide a living. You've got to provide a livelihood for your family. That's why you're there. That's all part of the program. You know, that's the truth, too. And you know what happens? When you think you're not going to be compensated, performance goes down as well. Give me an example. We're part of a business that was being sold, um, divested, they like to say. Actually, what I like to say is that we're being unloaded. Um, <laughs> uh, but divestiture sounds so nice. It makes you feel like you're part of some grand scheme. Uh, but I know what the scheme was, actually. <laughs> so I got a good handle on that. But we were being unloaded, and uh, we all knew it. And it was a question of how long we were going to hang in there. So you know what they did? They came to each one of us and they said, look, if you stay until we can divest you, <laughs> then we're going to pay you like 25% of your monthly income to hang in there through the consummation of a sale. Why did he do that? Huh? So you wouldn't leave. What did they know about not just me, but what did they know about all of us? If there's nothing in it for us, then why are we going to do it? Right? So they said, here, we're going to pay you 25% to hang in there, stick in there, hang through it. They were paying, everybody was getting paid some kind of bonus. Stay until the thing sold. Stay until the thing sold. And uh, well, that's, another, that's a long story I can't really get into. But it was really interesting to see how much power that bonus had to keep you through the consummation of a sale. 
but they realize that, you know what, if there's nothing in it for me and you, that there's no reason for us to stay. They do it all the time. I don't care what you call it, handcuff, uh, golden handcuff, golden parachute, whatever it is, somehow or another, they got to tie you in so they can say, hey, here we go, buddy, you have this and you can hang around. Well, you know what, why is God any different than that? He realizes that, you know what, if we don't think there's something in it for us, it affects our performance today. If you and I don't trust what he says about the future, it affects that we, the way that we live today. So you know what he does? He gives us incentive to hang in there, to fight the good fight, to not get tired of doing what's right. Say, hang in there and I'm going to repay you a hundred times. Because you know what? If you and I don't think so, it can get real tiring, can it? It can get real tiring doing what is right. Your toil in the Lord is not in vain. So, let's take a look at a couple things. There's a couple dispensers of rewards, and this is really what the issue is all about. There's two dispensers. You ready? There's one who dispenses rewards in this life. Luke chapter 4, and his name is Satan himself. Satan, the devil, whatever, the serpent of old, whatever you want to call him. The Bible calls him the devil. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me. And I can give it to anyone I want to. So if you worship me, it will be yours. Jesus answered and said, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There are two dispensers of rewards in life. The Bible is very clear that Satan has the ability to offer you reward for your life. And it's all summarized in one word, compromise. He says, if you are a person who's put your faith and trust in Christ, then what I've got to offer you, in a nutshell, is you need to compromise your commitment level. And if you compromise, let's play it up here a minute, if you compromise your commitment level, then I'm going to give you something in return, and you're going to have it now, and you're going to enjoy it now. Illustration. Taught a finance series. I've gone through his finance series a couple of times. All throughout it, the underlying theme of the series, as I see it, is can you trust God for the financial principles that he lays out that are true in the Bible? And, and, the, and the, the pull in the other direction is, you know what, if you can't trust God, then you're going to trust Satan, because Satan's saying this, buy now, pay later. You got it? You can have it now, pay for it later. God's saying, hey, you know what, if you can't pay for it now without violating financial principles in my word, and you can't wait upon me for the results, then you shouldn't have it. I don't want you to have it. Satan on the other hand said, oh, don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. You can have it now. Why should you wait 30 years to have what your parents have? You can have it all now because we'll give you this thing called credit card. You can use a credit card. You can have everything you want now and then you can make payments on it forever and even after it disappears and it fades and it's gone and it's no good anymore, you can still be paying for the memory of it. <laughs> but that sounds good to me because in the meantime, you can drive that nice new car even though you're leveraged beyond belief, you can't pay any of your debts. And, and, and uh, God says, you know, the, the wicked borrow and do not repay, and the righteous are gracious and give. And he says, look, you can have it now, or you can have it later. If, if you can't wait for God to provide it for you within the means, within the, the, the will of him, then you shouldn't have it. But what Satan's saying, why shouldn't you have it? You can have it. You're credit worthy. Go. So on one hand, Satan's saying, you can have it now. God's saying, you can only have it now if it lines up with the will of God. 
You follow what I'm saying? So Satan is a dispenser of rewards. But you know what? So is God. He said, looking at his disciples, can you just play along with me for a moment? And we'll, kinda, we'll, we'll do this, and then uh, I'll leave you hanging again this week. I like to do that. Let's do this. You ready? Tell me where you see that we'll benefit from doing what God says. And I'll underline it. You, write, you read it. Uh, Luke chapter 6. Okay. Look at his disciples. He said, Blessed. What? Blessed. Okay. First thing. Blessed. Okay. Are you who... <laughs> Give me that welder's blind. <laughs> I, just, I just lost it. Okay. I'll just use this. No. I better not do that. <laughs> Blessed. Well, you know how hard that'll be to line up things next week? Uh, okay, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is what? Okay, we're getting something out of it. Yours is, let's follow that, yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now. Okay, you will. You will be. It doesn't say you is. It says you will be. You is. You will be satisfied. Bless you, you weep now, for you will laugh. You will, I like that, you will laugh. That's, a, that's a kind of like my, my, my life verse. Um, I'll just keep throwing out as many crummy jokes as I can, but one day you will laugh. <laughs> yeah, much to your chagrin, I know. Blessed are you when men hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and reject your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy because great is your reward. Oh. Oh, boy. It just bums me out. Don't you hate that? Why can't we just have it now? Oh, that's right, because the other guy gives it now. Then we'd be real confused, wouldn't we? But love your enemies, do good to them, lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward, then your reward. Ooh, I like this, though. We'll be great. I like that. And you will be the sons of the Most High. I like that, too. You like that? Yeah. I like that. Good. Try to get a little excited, would you? <laughs> you don't know what it's like standing up here dying in front of all of you. It's an ugly sight, at least from this side, looking out this way. Because he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Give and, uh, oh, give, oh, give, and it will be given to you. A good measure press, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. Oh, I like that too. Will be poured. Go for it, man. Just keep it going. For with the measure you use, it will, oh, it will be measured to you. Huh. You got anything to look forward to? Yeah. Huh? Yeah. Really motivates you to change the way you live today, doesn't it? How many of you are selling out for today? Huh? How many are you selling out for today? See, that's really the issue here. Are you selling out for today? Am I selling out for the day? See, because all these things look like future tense to me. Your reward in heaven, it will be yours. You will be satisfied. You will laugh. 
Your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High. It will be given to you. It will be poured in your lap. It will be measured to you. It's, it's going to happen. It's coming. It's going to be there. But the question is, is it enough to know that it's going to be there to get you excited about doing it today? How about how many of you um, have like bonus programs, incentive programs on your jobs? Huh? Hello. Anybody? Te just testing here. Is anybody here? I got this water's blind. I can't see a thing. You can all s s sneak out now. And I wouldn't even know it. Performer get fired. Oh, it goes back to that fear again, the old <laughs> motivation. Okay. Well, you recognize that smart man. There's a very wise man there. Okay. So somehow or another, we got. How many of you have that incentive program? Incentive programs. What kind of uh, what kind of incentive program you got, Alfred? You mind sharing with us? Um, how much? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah. Let's all find out how much you get, so we all know whether we'll get into that field or not. <laughs> okay. Quarterly bonuses based on what? Okay, oh, your physician. So is it measurable? Can you measure it? Okay, yeah, so you're in a little more difficult area there. Uh, service areas are hard to measure. Quality of care, I like that. You know why they'd say quality of care? Because uh, they're not sure whether you're, they're going to care to qualify you. <laughs> That's the way it works. Or, or, you know, it always gives them an out. Quality of care, well, I don't think you... Uh, yes, sir. Yes. If I don't work, I don't eat. If you don't work, you don't eat. Okay, that's a good incentive. But you're self-employed. It's hard for you to freeload off of the rest of the people in your office. <laughs> not bad. Oh, no, it's not that bad. Oh, okay, good. Um, how about how many uh, salespeople? Any salespeople in here? Yes, sir. You're a salesperson. Hi. Can you stand for a moment? No. Okay. Well, can you can you just tell us how how are you paid? Okay. Gross profit after sales, whenever percentage. Uh, when's it paid out? Never. Never. <laughs> I'm in big trouble. Where'd that go? Oh, I'm in big trouble. Where that? Hebrews 6 8. Where, where is that at? Where is this? God is not unjust. He will not forget the work that you do in his name. 